You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent, and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. Here we go. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of time plus 1% of money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and money back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. All right, guys. Welcome back. Um, This is another edition of the Average Conservationist Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Um, This is episode 17. Um, today on the podcast, I am joined by Tristan Talvey of 6am Outdoors. Um, 
it's a it's a fun conversation because Tristan and I we we get to dive into a lot of different things about the company, um, how six a.m. outdoors is actually um, a, a secondary business for for Tristan. Um, he does a lot of the sewing for a lot of the items that you see himself. Um, and, and what's interesting to me, and Tristan and I touch on it a little bit too, is is a lot of the companies and things like that that I'm speaking to, um, these are all second businesses for people. And, and primarily when you think about a second business or uh, a second source of income, let's call it for people, uh, it, it, it's exactly that, right? It's, it's another avenue to to make some income for your household or for yourself whatever the case may be um and, and a lot of these people who i've spoken to that have these um second streams of income as as a business uh kind of whether it's in the outdoor industry or we're not uh but if it's two percent certified that they've they've made this conscious effort to to give you know some of that second income back to conservation uh and that really speaks volumes to uh, the type of people that are that run and, and start these companies, uh, and really where uh, their values lie when it comes um, to conservation and the outdoors. Um, Tristan and I get to talk a lot about, you know, how the products kind of first came to be. Um, really, the the multitude of uses that uh, the, a lot of the products have. You know, it's not just for for hunters uh, and and outdoorsmen and outdoorswomen. Uh, you know, families can get uh, use out of these things. Uh, you know, their organization, their uh, the organization pouches that they have. You know, these these great tents that they that they make as well. Uh, you know, Six AM Outdoors just offers a lot of uh, really great and unique products that uh, if you haven't, uh, you should definitely be sure uh, to check out. Uh, Chris Tristan, excuse me. Um, you know, grew up in the outdoors, so for him it was kind of uh, an easy decision to to start making products. Uh, that benefit uh, and that people in the outdoor industry or people that like to get outdoors and recreate can use. And, uh, you know, I think it really shows in, uh, you know, the business model and, and the quality of items that um, Tristan and his company are, are putting out. So um, if you haven't, be sure to check out 6AM Outdoors, and I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. All right. Joining me today, I have the founder of 2% Certified 6AM Outdoors, Tristan Talvey. Tristan, how's it going today? I'm doing good. How are you, Marcus? I'm doing well, thanks. I know this has got to be kind of a, a busy time of year for you guys with, with seasons kicking off and everyone looking for last-minute gear and stuff, so I appreciate you making some time. Oh, yeah. No worries. Yeah, it's been slammed. And, you know, in the off-season, you know, which is pretty much December through maybe May, mm-hmm. we try to amp up on some some gear that we know is going to sell so we just try to get it so it's ready to ship so we don't have people on the late last minute because you know it always happens yeah i need my i'm leaving in a week and so you know like quilts you know those types of items or even shelters now you know we're getting stuff stocked up for ready to ship so people just can come buy them and they're shipped the next day so definitely definitely busy yeah that's one of the things i liked about your website was the section that was just ready to ship items because especially it seems like in the in the outdoor world and in the gear world specifically a lot of things um are on back order especially uh you know with the pandemic and everything it it hurt a lot of people in terms of being able to to get supplies and and fabric and um, textiles or you know whatever the case is that it really hampered people in their uh their delivery lead times for sure. And that's, that's the hardest part is textiles. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, 
um, back in June, we were sitting there like, what are we going to do? You know, we had game bags, but that wasn't even busy season. I mean, July and August, all the way until October, you know, we just sell, you know, loads of game bags and you can't get fabric and people are using it for the PPE. You know, I have, if I get overloaded, you know, cause this is a, a, a side job cause I have a full-time job. I've got a wife and kids. I just, I don't have time to do this full time. Okay. Um, so I, a contract sewer out of Washington, you know, that helps me with, you know, game bags and those quilts just because, you know, sometimes they're doing a thousand game bags at a time um, or they're doing, you know, 30 quilts in a week. And, you know, I've got a, like I said, a full-time gig and I want to have family time. And my sewer was like, what am I going to do? You know, she's got a ring, you know, and, you know, she's got kids and a family. And I said, just keep on chugging. I said, don't worry about it. You know, we'll get through this and hasn't skipped a beat. So, yeah, it's there's been some hurdles, been some speed bumps, but, you know, we're still chugging along and we're, we're keeping up with, you know, the race. So it's good. Okay. So a couple things, because one, I didn't realize that this was kind of a, a side gig for you. So that's that's interesting. And I want to I want to touch on that. But for our listeners out there, explain, because you and I talked about this before, where uh, with the name of the company, I thought it was Viam Outdoors, and you kind of said, "Well, it is, but it isn't." So, explain to our customer, to our customers, to our listeners, um, the the name and Six AM Outdoors, Viam Outdoors, how that all works. Because I think I think it's a pretty cool story that a lot of people probably don't realize or don't don't know. Yeah, you get that you know all the time. Like even when we just talk, you get that mind blown moment, and it's oh, it's. <laughs> outdoors how you doing you know and a lot of the times i just you know i don't shrug it off because that's how typically you read it you know you type it in a search bar it's going to read by him outdoors right but when we started the company there was already 6 a.m was taken and i was like i had it in my mind of how i wanted the logo and if you look at our logo it's a vi and it's orange so it's a sun and then the A and an M is mountains, so it's a sun coming over mountains. And that's how it was 6 a.m. So I was like, well, how can I spin this a little bit? And that's how we came up with, you know, the Viam. So as the VI is Roman numerals. Yeah, so for our listeners at home, I mean, um, Tristan and I can see each other here. But when he first explained that to me, my eyes got really wide. And I was like, aha, there it is. It, it makes total sense. So. For uh, for our listeners out there who are familiar with Viam, 6 a.m. Outdoors, uh, now you understand uh, the logo, the name, and everything like that. So hopefully that that clears some things up for people. Right, yeah. So you mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago that this is actually like a, a side gig for you, just a, something uh, else that you do. So what is your full-time job that, that you do? So I actually manage money for a big energy company out of Seattle. Okay. And, um, you know, I can give you a rundown of how this started. You know, I going through high school, I mean, I don't want to say I was somebody who skated by, but, you know, I was so into cars, you know, and I passed. I had, you know, a B average. And, you know, when I, when I was into junior, you know, I was like, man, I can't, I can't really do this, you know, because my, my hands are cramping up and, you know, I like, it's more about a passion than it is more about the dollar at the end of the day. But I'm like, my body's not going to hold up on this. And, you know, cause I was working at a tire shop called Les Schwab and, you know, you're changing car tires mm-hmm. and then you work, you're changing semi-truck tires 
And then it goes to, you know, like land mover tires. And it's just so daunting on your body. And, you know, I was like, I just can't do this. So um, my senior year, I made I made the last ditch effort to, to turn stuff around so I can start applying for universities. And at that time, you know, my grandpa moved to Montana because, you know, he's the one who actually got me into the outdoors. And he left Washington where we were from, you know, when I was in the ninth grade. So, I mean, there was, you know, three, four years-ish that, you know, we were split apart. Now, granted, I still went back and I saw him, um, you know, on a yearly basis to hunt with him and those types of things. But I didn't have it, you know, every week, you know, every weekend like I had when I was a kid growing up. Right. So that was the tough part. So I just actually, you know, started, got my act together. I uh, applied for, you know, some universities. And my grandpa was like, you need to go to Montana. You know, there's no other better place. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of twofold because where I, we live in Bozeman now and we used to hunt, we hunt, hunted this ranch, you know, on the north end of the crazy mountains when I was seven years old. Okay. And what's kind of funny is here we are in 2020 and I'm hunting that same ranch, you know, that I did when I was seven. Yeah. It's funny how things come full circle like that. Exactly. And I applied for MSU and I told my grandpa and he's like, no, that's the wrong university. You know, <laughs> you know that, that's like eight hours away because he was actually in Northwest Montana. And I okay. was like, I didn't even think about that, you know, so they got to go back and I went and applied for the U of M and that's in Missoula there and top five business nation. Um, I graduated in uh, business management and a focus on entrepreneurship because I wanted to start my own business. And um, I, I graduated in five years because that last year I stuck around for a whole year just to take the entrepreneurship class. Okay. And it was offered in the spring. So, um, you know, that's kind of how that started. And I graduated in 08. The economy took a tank. And here I am sitting there, you know, with a business degree, you know, focused on entrepreneurship. No businesses are going to start now. Um, I couldn't get hired anywhere. And so I went back to work for that tire company, changing tires, you know, and I did that all the way until uh, about 2011. And then uh, I got hired on managing money. And in that meantime, from 2008, you know, on, I picked up this Walmart sewing machine, you know, because I've always been in the outdoors. And I was like, I could do this stuff. And I started making little things here and there, you know, while working at, you know, the tire store transition into a finance role and then uh, the finance role um, we lost a contract up in the Seattle area and they wanted me to move to San Diego and I was just like I'm not moving out of the Northwest to go to a desert and um, you know I got laid off and that's when 6 a.m. came around full swing and that was back in you know late 2015 so started sewing my stuff up like I said in 08 you know, and then started full swing back in 15. So in a nutshell, that's how it all came about. So now as far as the products and everything, were you um, like sewing stuff for other people or was it just for yourself or maybe some close, you know, some buddies, some hunting buddies, stuff like that? I mean, at what point or how did you go from just kind of sewing stuff on your own to, I mean, kind of introducing it to the public and getting it into other people's hands? Yeah, that's how it started. It was just for myself. You know, you go out there and if you have a Kelty or an REI tent, 
you know, or you had at that time, I had an old school pack frame that had the aluminum and, you know, it would rub your back raw. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how can you make these things better? You know, you do a whole gear drop and, you know, you figure out things like, you know, just like anybody who wants to create something, you know, whether it's a picture frame or, you know, even to the extent of a table or something, you just have that thing, a vision of how you can make it a little bit different. So that's what I did, you know, started in 08 and it was just for myself. And then, uh, you know, just because you don't know if that's going to work for everybody. Right. And so I, myself, and I'd go out with some hunting buddies, and and uh, they saw this stuff, and I'm like, dude, that's kind of neat, you know, make me one. <laughs> so that's what it was like was the snowball effect. And and then that's how we started in 15 is because, you know, several years of making this stuff. And, like, it wasn't full-blown production. It was, you know, here or a little bit there. And then I'd try it, and I'd use it, and I'd go do something else. Um, so that's how it, it came about. And I said, you know, I can do something with this. So that's how it came about. Yeah. So now how much field testing would you say goes into like, so what, I guess, what was your, your very first product that you introduced? Very, very first product were like these little storage bags, you know, they, we call them the G threes. Right. Okay. And, and they're just very simple. You know, it's, there's others on the market that are two piece fabric. And I was like, you know, and our biggest thing is it's, it's hard to explain because we're, when was the last time we've all seen an invention and, you know, something that's truly first to the market, you know, it's like, we're not here because I'm not an inventor. I mean, I, I would say I'm an innovator, you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm taking that wheel that's been around for decades and I'm just adding more spokes to it. And, you know, you get the, the signs that say, oh, it looks like this. It looks like that. But it it's a book. A book is a book until you read the actual pages. Right. And that's, that, a, that's a good way to put it. And that's how, I mean, I, you, everybody gets criticized like that. Look look at all the cars. If you're a Hyundai or a Daewoo, I mean, they're gone. But anybody, you're, you're not the, you know, the innovator because you're not Ford. Right. You know, but... They wanted to make something different that was going to be different in their perspective to, you know, society. And that's how I am. And so that's what I did is other people are making these things that are two pieces of fabric and you sew all the way around the perimeter. And that just doesn't make sense to me because you've got four seams. So you got four, in quote, weak points, four points of, you know, water could get in. I'm like, why not make this thing out of one piece of fabric? And it wraps around. So the only seams you have are on the ends and then obviously the zipper. So I just cut out half of the seams. And, you know, and that's the first thing that I did. And then it started, like, with quilts. And, you know, quilts, I mean, it's it's a new age kind of a thing. But I was kicking that can a long time ago because I was always hiking. You know, we've done the Pacific Crest Trail, and you meet a lot of people. And I'm like, what's a quilt? You know, and you start talking about this like, yeah, my grandma makes quilts and they're like, (laughs) it's not like that, you know, and it's essentially a quilt is 25% lighter because you don't have the backside that you're laying on of all that insulation. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you're laying on the insulation, you have no loft. Um, So what's different about our quilts is they're all convertible. You know, that's got a a snap foot box so you can open it up like a blanket. It's got a draw cord at the bottom when you're in a quote quilt mode. It cinches up the foot box. It could be an under quilt, top quilt, because there's um, tie-out corners on all four corners. So it's very versatile. I mean, whether you're 
hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, hunting, um, or even like we go downtown here and they've got the university that plays a a kids movie um, every summer, with the exception of this year, obviously. But we take our quilts down there and you're laying on the the astro turf with your kids watching a movie, kind of like a drive-in. Yeah. So they're just so versatile. And you know, two weeks ago I was in the Missouri breaks and I mean it was 55 degrees at night. And that's what everybody asked me. Well, 10 degree might be too warm. I, I sleep in a 10 degree all year round because it was 55 at night, but they're a quilt. You can easily use them like a blanket. You stick your leg out, your arm out. You can just easily vent out of them. Right. So so there is a lot of field testing, you know, whether or not you're using the right, right type of webbing or cordage. Um, you know, quite frankly, when I first did this, I didn't make it convertible, but then you lose all that modular um, aspect of things you know I used the wrong type of webbing because when you're pulling on it on the draw cord it would start to rub and burn a hole into it um, I used too thin of a cord um, you know because a thinner cord on that webbing burns in easier um, fabric choices you know so there is a lot uh, to come and go out of it um, but that's that's the kind of cool thing about it is you sit down you figure out a product that you can in quote invent or reinvent i guess or add more spokes to the wheel like we talked about um and see how you can make it better but yeah and that's uh that see so for for one that's something that i didn't realize was the modularity in something like your quilt um i mean it it, it it's defined as a quilt it almost just seems like a like an outdoor blanket with you know multiple uses and i a quilt blanket it's kind of the you know six one half dozen of the other but to you know it's not just for hunting or for backpacking like you said you can get you know all these different uses out of it and that's what that's what really separates a product in my eyes is is someone will come out with a product uh you know let's say an outdoor company uh hunting company or or whatever and it's its sole purpose is just to be used in the backcountry for hunting and when you can offer something that does that but then also is something as simple as going to the beach, going to the park, you know, whatever the case is, it just, it opens it up to that many more customers, that many more people who, you know, otherwise, you know, wouldn't even know to, to use something like that. For sure. And I mean, to touch on that too, I mean, even guys going to Sturgis, I had a guy call me up saying, Hey, I'm taking my bike cross country. I'm camping along the way. I want something that I can carry. He's like, I really don't care about weight but I want a small bag and I'm like, well, this thing's two pounds and you know, it gets to like essentially an eight by 10 inch, you know, tube, I guess. And, uh, he's like, perfect. It'll go right in my saddle bag. And he had plenty of room and here he is a guy going cross country on a motorbike. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, that really kind of speaks to the versatility of it right there. And even like colors. I mean, we, we do our ready-to-ship stuff, like you, you mentioned, um, generic colors. Uh, we've got black and coyote. We've got an army green and a coyote. You know, something that's neutral tone for people. We do that so, like you said, that they can just readily go grab them and have them. We usually ship next day. Okay. So if they're in stock, they're going to ship next day. Um, or you can get special custom colors. Um, there are a few other companies out there that do custom colors. Um, but our lead time on something like that is about usually 10 to 12 business days. Um, some other people, like you said, are months and you know, the, the pandemic hasn't really hit us. We had, like I said, we haven't skipped a beat and I've had people call and like, wait a minute, you've 
you can make me one, you know, and it's <laughs> like, yeah, you know, just give me, you know, 10, 12 days and I'll have yours. Like, no way. He's like, other people are four to six months out. Right. You know, and you know, granted, I've got a lot of the color choices on hand. I don't know how other companies run their business if they've, they just buy them at the moment because like going back to textiles, they're hard to come by right now because everybody's using it for PPE. It's right. not that you're right choice for PPE because what we use is a breathable fabric. Right. You know, yeah. so it's it's not the right thing. But they're making gowns out of it, face masks, everything. So not the right use, but it hinders, you know, my business or competitors' business because you can't get it. But, you know, just talking about quilts as an example, is that we give that extra um added benefit to the end user if they want a custom color like one guy called and he says my son just graduated from biomed school i want the ugliest thing you can make i'm like (laughs) i said he's like what colors you got i listed them he's like all right i want this pacific blue on the outside and i want lime green on the inside you know so that's what we made and it's some for for a boy who graduated biomed school and and he loves it so now the the um the G3s that you talked about the um the the small storage bags that you have so that's something that i mean i'm in the midwest here so my most of my hunting is all you know tree stand style hunting um you know it's not it's not i'm not really packing much in however i found that if i carry a backpack into the tree i'm going to find stuff to put in my bag right i mean it's just you got a bag, you're like, oh, I can bring this, I can bring that. You probably don't need it and it'll probably never come out. But what I do find is when I'm rummaging through my bag when I'm in the tree stand, I mean, I'm unzipping pockets, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. It's it's not very efficient and I can never remember where I put stuff. So that's one thing that's been kind of on the top of my list of, of things to look into is it's just a way to, to be better organized. And, you know, these these bags, I mean, there's, what do you have, three or four different sizes of them? Uh, they come in five different sizes. Okay. So, yep. yeah, so t- to, to be able to, to stay organized, especially uh, with a bigger pack, like in a backcountry uh, hunt or uh, backpacking trip, for example, I mean, that's um, a pretty big uh, advantage for the user. Right. And, you know, you've got so many good companies out making packs today, but it seems like the goal is to be the lightest. And the only way you're going to be the lightest is if you cut stuff. I mean, because your your frame is going to be different material, but technically, you know, whether it's some range of Cordura, it's still a Cordura fabric. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the known variable. So they're going to cut out webbing or buckles, and you know that's how they're going to shave weight. Well, they're they're cutting out storage pockets, so you're you're you have this big essential hole that you're just going to stuff your stuff in. But what if you need your knife? or toilet paper or headlamp, you know, those types of things. So that's where those pack, the storage, our G3s come in handy. But going back to, you know, the modularity or versatility is you can carry them, you know, if you're going on a vacation trip, you know, throw them in your luggage. And now you guys said reusing Ziploc bags, you know, for your liquids, you know, you've got those or your toothbrush or pills, you know, just little things like that. And, you know, I've got plenty of people who use them on a daily, daily basis, whether if you are an electrician putting Allen keys in them, because um, we've made Cordura, we make several different fabric types. So, you know, they could put their tools in them. You know, they could put, um, you know, all sorts of stuff in them. And that's what we try to do with all of our gear is make it 
multi-use, like a Swiss Army knife. You know, we've already talked about the quilts. We've talked about the multi, uh, the G3 bags being multi-use. And even the, the multi-cloth we got, it's a four-by-six sheet, essentially of waterproof or breathable fabric that you can lay down as a ground cloth so you don't have to carry your tie back in or a floor on your shelter. Um, it's got loops on all four corners. So if you're glassing, you got sun, wind, rain, shade, or cover because it's waterproof fabric. Um, if you're you know successful, you lay that down and you got stakes on all four corners, you can lay it down, stake it down, and you can you know put your meat on it so it's clean. We came up with that when we were in Alaska on a caribou hunt. And if you've ever been on the North Slope, you know it's moss and lichen and it's just nasty up there. And we got back and our uh, taxi guy was like, this is the cleanest meat I've ever seen. You know, and you don't, you're not taking that, laying it in the moss and lichens. And we just simply wanted to keep everything clean. So that's how yeah. we came up with that cloth. So it's a cloth that's multiple uses. So, you know, like I said, that's how we try to do everything is keep everything multi-purpose, multi-use. Because that in end is you're carrying less items in the field, making you lighter. Yeah, no, I, <clears throat> I'm just sitting here as, as we're talking and, and you're explaining or you're, you know, talking about multi-use and stuff like that. The, like with the, the G3s, for example, like, I mean, I can see like putting them in your truck, right? Like I think of like my center console, you know, in my front seat and all the stuff that just gets thrown in there and, you know, is a mess to try to find something, whether it's, you know, a Leatherman or, you know, your registration, you know, Tylenol, you know, just the random stuff that you collect in your, in your vehicle over time. But if you have a way to, you know, keep that organized, it's just, it's so, there's, the, the uses are endless for it really. Yep. And people have asked, you know, in the past, well, why don't you put like a Velcro strip on them so you can easily label them? Um, we don't do that because we recommend just doing blue masking tape because you're going to have to get a patch made you know, for what's in there. Yeah. So just blue masking tape, simply put on there, you know, electronics or, you know, meds, you know, toothbrush, toiletry, those types of things. Yeah. And if something just, you know, you can easily take the blue masking tape off and you know what that is. So in your example, you can have a G3 label it vehicle registration or vehicle info, mm -hmm. you know, or, receipts, you know, because if you ever like, for example, you go to a tire store, they're, well, where's your receipt at? Oh geez, you open up that glove box and it's just endless piles of paperwork. Yeah, you know. So yeah, perfect example. You could do that. So now with the shelters and the TPs and stuff like that, how? Because I know that there's obviously there's there's a lot of companies out there that make shelters and TPs like that. So what what makes Six AM Outdoors different than than some of the other um, companies out there that are making uh, shelters and TPs and stuff? Yeah, so TP's a, a different breed. Um, I never ever wanted to get into the TP to TP world because TP's are TP's. Um, whether you call it a pyramid or whatever we call it, it's still a TP. And it doesn't matter which company is out there today. We're going back to the the example of the the innovator, right? And the natives have made these things for ages, mm -hmm. and everybody here is just trying to redesign, redesign their own version of it. And I didn't want to get into the world of teepees because there are four sides. That's a pyramid, right? How can I think any different? And realistically, I mean, I don't know every competitor's teepee, but what I can say about ours is ours is nine and a half foot square, six and a half feet tall. It weighs one pound, 12 ounces. 
So I know for a fact that we're lighter than competitors. Um, and then, you know, we've got just little, little subtle things, you know, like you don't have to essentially tie in your cinch knots. We use line locks. Um, we've got a front entrance where the doors swing open rather than, you know, say a side entrance. Um, you know, there are people who use front entrances as well. You know, we've got clothesline in ours. And like I said, it's a teepee. You know, how can you really make something that has four triangular walls truly different? Right. But, but um, I had I had a customer call me and say, hey, I want a teepee. I'm like, I'm not doing a teepee. And, <laughs> and he asked me like four or five times. I kept telling him, no, no, no. And he's like, well, you do custom projects, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, then I want TP. You know, <laughs> it's, it says it on our website, you know, and we do custom projects all the time. So that's what we did is we made him a TP. And the next thing you know, it was that snowball effect, you know, where he showed his buddy. And before we knew it, you know, we sold a dozen of them uh, probably within, you know, a three-month span. And that was all just through word of mouth. And then, you know, you, you take a look at 6 a.m. products, we're lightweight, we're called quality, and we're affordable. And the affordability aspect is what I, I believe catches a lot of people's attention. You know, because yes, we're all made in the states here. Um, I'm supporting the U.S. economy. I want you know the U.S. to do well. It's never going to go overseas for production just to make more money in my, my pocket. Right. You know, I want everybody to succeed, but I need to do that to make the end user want to buy our product to have faith in our product and to save money because not everybody has buku bucks to spend on gear um you know even though it's made in the u.s so we don't have high margins because we pass on those on you know that to the savings yeah and that's oh sorry i was just gonna say that that that's something that i really like about 6 a.m is the is the affordability because it seems like more and more the especially for like midwestern and eastern guys like myself the allure of of heading west and being able to you know have this kind of dream hunt or this once in a lifetime hunt or even just start making it a you know a more regular thing to to get out west um it's it's expensive right like so for someone like me you know i need a shelter of some sort you know you need a good pack you need you know boots you know, if you just look at gear alone, I mean, it's a huge investment. And then, you know, you got to figure an out-of-state tag is, you know, probably at minimum $500, depending on, you know, which state you're hunting in. So to be able to shave some money off or save some money and still have a really high quality product is um, is kind of a game changer for a lot of guys. And it opens it up for a lot more people to, to experience that. Right, for sure. And, you know, I don't tell everybody this, you know, it's pretty much podcast or if I go and I, I meet with organizations or groups, you know, people like yourself who are in a predicament about this stuff, you never see our product. You know, people just simply give us a call and we we have shelters that are loners, that are demos. So you're able to, you know, just call me up saying, hey, I want to try out a TP or I want to try a CC divide. I say, OK, you just cover shipping. I ship it to you. And you're able to set it up and use it. And then when you're done with it, send it back. You like it, great. I'll make you one. If not, you know, thanks for trying us. And that's the, the cool part that I don't know any other company that does that. And yeah. I don't tell people that, you know, on our website because I can't, I don't have 17 of each different versions to right. give out as loaner. Right. So 
that's that's the cool part that I think that sets us aside. Um, you know, I can't say it's made in the U.S. because there are other competitors that are made in the U.S. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're lifetime warranty, obviously against manufacturer's defects, so that's a big plus. You know, so are other people. But to set us aside, you know, whether it's different designs, similar designs, but larger or smaller, more functional, those types of things, we don't make anything that is exactly the same as somebody else's. We've never bought anybody else's product to break it down to copy it. Right. You know, it. you can look at something and you can see something that's hindered about another design. And, oh, why wasn't it made this way? Um, you know, so you can just simply look at that thing uh, or, you know, that item and know what was what should have been right or wrong. But, you know, that to set us aside is the affordability aspect, um, you know, the customer service that we we provide. You know, you look online. I, I, I would be hard to press to find a bad review about, you know, my customer service or my company's customer service. And, you know, I'm I've actually been. Um, frowned upon when a guy called from back east and he was going to Montana here on a hunt and that's where we're at and you know he wanted to buy a shelter and a quilt and I said okay well, where are you going you know and he told me I'm like all right so we start talk hunting and he's like all right thanks I'll call you back and he got all mad that I wasn't trying to sell him a product you know and, <laughs> and I'm like at the end of the day if you don't buy something that's fine but I work in an office, and I, I don't have like-minded individuals who go on a backcountry hunt, and we talk about screaming bulls or you know camping out in the woods. Yeah. And so I'm more than happy to help somebody, especially somebody who comes in and spends $1,000 on a combo tag in Montana. Why wouldn't I help them? Yeah. You know, and there is no secret spots. You know, there's so much public land. You know, it's who cares if you're home with somebody else? I mean, I get it. You don't want to go on a podcast or, or uh, let's say, a forum to, you know, plant out your honey holes. But somebody's coming out from out of state and it's their first, second hunt. By all means, I want them to kill an elk or, you know, and be successful, enjoy the outdoors, pass it on to their kids. You know, talking conservation, you know, we don't have that. You don't have the people doing it. They're going to, get fed up with it and say forget it so you know he didn't like it that i i didn't want to sell him something and he came back obviously bought the stuff and that's what he told me i'm like and i told him the same thing is i I want you to enjoy it yeah i don't want you to buy something from me just to buy something i want you to enjoy the outdoors and that's he's like well i really truly appreciate it well yeah and that's you you touched on a couple good points there and something that i think as as being kind of a, a one-man show with 6 a.m. there for, for you, you have that ability to, one, you, d- you don't necessarily feel the pressure to have to to sell something to every person that calls and, and has questions or, or wants to pick your brain a little bit about your products. And the um, the opportunity that you said to where someone can you know try out your products. I mean, I, I don't know another company out there. I don't care what it is that's yep. willing to say, Hey, you know, if, if you want to give this a shot before you actually purchase something, you know, cover the shipping, like you said, I'll send it to you, set it up in your yard, you know, use it for a weekend or whatever the case is to make sure that it's something you're comfortable with, that it's going to, you know, fulfill your needs um, for, for hunting or backpacking, whatever the case is. Because, I mean, yeah, no, 
like I said, I don't know anyone that does something like that, that's willing to put, you know, that's willing to send, you know, in essence, a complete stranger, something that they spent their money on just for them to give it a try. And, you know, that I think that speaks volumes to not only you as a business owner and, um, you know, the customer service, but just how you feel about your products and, and the quality that is there that you're willing to just send it to a stranger, sight unseen, no money, you know, here, use it, abuse it, you know, do what you need to do with it. Yep. And I've even had customers who, you know, our CC, CC Divide, for example, he was on pat goats and his pat goats walked around the guy lines, ripped the shelter, you know, where the guy line was because it tripped over it. And he's like, dude, I'm so sorry. You know, I'll pay to get it fixed. And I'm like, you know, other competitors might charge you, you know, but this is a demo. I mean, this is meant to be used and abused. Mm-hmm. Accidents happen. Why would I charge this guy to fix this thing if I can easily put a patch on it? And the guy was like, wait a minute. I don't have to pay for it. Let He's like, let me pay you for it. I'm like, no. You know, and so I'm not, in, in essence, I'm not out here to just take money from people. I want them to enjoy this stuff. I want them to, you know, try our product. I want them to enjoy it. And, you know, once you try this stuff, there's so many people that are like, oh, I'm a 6 a.m. customer for life. You know, there's a lot of brand loyalty, you know, in the industry. And I get it. By all means, you know, you get that product that you like. You know that they make quality stuff. You know, stick with them. But, you know, there are other companies like myself that's potentially making quality product, too, that you just get passed on because, you, I'm just so small. I'm at the bottom of the barrel because I'm that one man show. Yeah. But those people who do take a, a gamble and they try the stuff, they you know they see the other side and they're like, yeah, I'm a customer for life. So that's the the best thing that I like is when you see the customer who who actually breaks away from that brand loyalty. They they reach out to a smaller company who say, hey, I want to keep it in Montana. Hey, I want to keep it local, those types of things. And then they try your stuff and then, you know, you actually become acquaintances and, you know, they call you and they say, Hey, how's this? How's that? You know, that's the relationships that you build and you don't have that with, I would believe you don't have that with other companies because you're going to call your, get a representative, you know, you don't call at pretty much any given day and you've got the owner's number. My website, that's my personal number. I, I, carry, I carry that phone everywhere I go. You know, as a small business owner, you don't know who's calling next. You know, right. you don't know what, if there's an accident or something happens. I had an example where a guy set up a teepee and set it up wrong and busted the pole. This is a perfect example. And this doesn't happen to everybody, but he, he busted the pole and he was going on a mountain goat hunt. You know, in like a week, and he's like, dude, I busted the pole. I set it up wrong. Did I do something wrong? We walked it through, and he's he set it up wrong. I said, dude, send me the pole. I'll get you a new one out tomorrow. I sent him a brand-new carbon fiber pole. Didn't even make him pay for it. You know, now, granted, there's those one-off scenarios, and, you know, it just shows that I'm not, I'm not going to say it, but other competitors would probably charge him, yeah. you know, for another pole because it was user error. Right. But – I'm not out here. I mean, granted, we're not in business to lose money. Otherwise, you're <laughs> never going to be in business. Right. But, but then again, it just like I hope that, you know, the listeners, they understand that uh, I'm not here 
to make this, you know, my my million dollar asset in the back bank. You know, right. I haven't had a paycheck from this company for one paycheck. I haven't been paid at all. Yeah. The only thing this company pays for is a new truck that I got because of tax purposes. <laughs> and and other than that, I don't get a paycheck. You yeah. know, because I have a full time job. You know, I enjoy doing this stuff. And, you know, if somebody buys something from me, I reinvest it into the company. It's not paying for my my time. You know, it's just reinvesting this company. So that's why I'm able to, you know, help that other gentleman out with that poll. And, you know, that's how I build those relationships. I'm not I'm not trying to buy it from him, but that's just how genuine of a person I am rather than making a dollar off of somebody. Yeah, and that's... <clears throat> That kind of goes back to what you had mentioned early on was that this was a passion for you, right? And, and you know, being afforded the opportunity with another job, I mean, you, you know, you can do those things. I mean, if it's, you know, if you, if you make enough money to keep the company going, to reinvest into new products, um, you know, expand on product lines, uh, you know, just have more ready to ship items. I mean, that's, that's, that's what's great because that's what customers want. I mean, they want to be able to, to have something within, you know, a week's time frame, depending on, you know, where they're at and how long it takes to get to them. But if you're not out there, yeah, trying to, to, to squeeze every penny out of your customers, I mean, they realize that, right. They, they realize yep. that, Hey, this is a company. And especially with times like right now that it's made in the U S that, you know, I mean, those are what, those are the types of things that people want to support, right? Especially, you know, now more than ever. So that's, that's great. For sure. And, you know, anybody who's listening to this here, if you call me, you're going to figure out who I am when you call, don't mention you listen to this or, you know, just start talking to me. Yeah. You'll realize that's who I truly am, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, it's not a front. It's not a show to anybody. It's just that's who I am. You know, you go to a show, you meet me or in person. It's I want to help somebody. And, you know, we're we're all in this together, whether it shouldn't be. I'm a bow hunter. You're a rifle hunter kind of a situation. Right. You know, it's we're both hunters. Yeah. You know, we're both out here for the, you know, conservation or for the enjoyment of being in the woods, whether if you're hiking or hunting, fishing, we're all outdoor enthusiasts. Yeah. And that's. um and that, that it, it, it's interesting because I think that sometimes the the hunting, the outdoors community can be very welcoming. Um, it can be very inclusive. But then I think there's also times where it's like you said, it's well, oh, you just you, you know, exclusively rifle hunt or you, you know, you only use a bow and, and people kind of look down their nose at that. And and I, I hate that about the outdoor industry sometimes is. You know, because one person does one thing differently, they're, they're better or they're worse. And, you know, that, that's just not the case at all. I mean, you're out there enjoying, you know, the outdoors and you're doing something that you love. I mean, there's no reason why, you know, it should be looked down on or, or looked or viewed differently because, you know, you, you use a different weapon when you're out there, you know. Yep. There's a lot of that in Montana. I mean, whether if you're on a Facebook group or even if you're non-state, you know, non-resident plates hunting Montana, you get a lot of people who are like, get out of here. You know, they, they'll write notes on people's windows. And, you know, granted, this is a limited entry state. You know, there's only X amount of tags to sell. Mm -hmm. But that's where a lot of money that goes to the state for conservation comes from, you know. And if, if we don't have that, what's your $10 conservation license going to do as a Montana resident? 
You know, there's only a million people that live in the state. So that's where a lot of these funds come from. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that. But there is a lot of private, or not, excuse me, there is a lot of public property or public land that you can hunt. And somebody who is from out of state, they probably go on a forum, hey, where should I go look? And that's where people get triggered is, oh, go do your research. You know, but you're like, let's use you for example. You know, it's going to be very tough to go out west to Montana every weekend to go scout somewhere. You probably you know? can't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you can't. So it's like the only thing you can do is e-scout or research, and that's what a lot of people do. Yeah. So it's 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 tough, and that's where, you know, by all means, I try to help out as much as possible um, because you want to keep stuff affordable. Um, and nowadays you got to give kidneys, you know, for <laughs> item, and you only got two, and I want both of mine. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very uh, a very good way to put it. And and I you know I the the industry as a whole needs more people like you, Tristan, that are welcoming and that want to you know they want people no matter if you're in state, you're coming from out of state to have success. They want to be able to enjoy it because you know if I go out west and you know it's my first elk hunt and it just you know things go to hell in a handbasket and it just it ends up being the worst, you know, seven days of my life out there because for whatever reason, I wasn't prepared or I just went to an area where I didn't hear a bugle. I didn't, you know, didn't get eyes on anything. You know, what is, what's the likelihood of me wanting to come back out there and do it now? You know, for someone like me, I can say that, well, you know, those are the breaks and, you know, you, you give it a shot again next year. But there's a lot of guys who, who maybe don't have that same mentality. You know, they, they build up this picture of what this Western hunt should be like and, you know, they're going to wake up before dawn. They're going to hear, you know, elk bugling all over and they're going to be on top of them, you know, for seven days. And they're going to have their their pick of which bull they want to shoot. And that's I mean, anyone who's ever done it knows that that is absolutely not the case. So in order to make that experience as, as enjoyable as possible, yeah, we, you know, guys like me from the Midwest, you know, we need that that even if it's just a little bit of insight, you know, we need that to, to help sustain us as, as hunters to, to come out there and, and do our part. Yeah. And, you know, I'll leave it at one point was there was a guy who came from the Dakotas with other, another group of people and he called up, he wanted a quilt because he was going hunting. And I asked him and he said, he's going to Ennis. I said, okay, have you ever been to Ennis? And it was down by, you know, the gravelly range. And if anybody knows the gravelly range, that's where they take problem bears and they dump grizzly bears and you know every year there's multiple i mean multiple bear attacks and i spoke with him and he just found that online and he's like i just read good things about it that's where we're gonna go and i said well you know there's grizzly bears bears down there right with multiple attacks i mean one of them there was an attack on the same road you know like two hours apart by the same bear yeah and they were both bow hunters so i said you know i would carry some type of protection whether it's bear spray or pistol and he was like, well, what kind of pistol? And I said, well, my opinion is I carry a 10 millimeter and, you know, you can carry a 220 grain lead bullet. And he's like, all right. He called me back like two days later and he's like, all right, I got, uh, I got, I picked up that 10 millimeter. I couldn't find any ammo. I'll, I'll see if I can get some on my way out there. And I said, let me tell you what I said, you already bought the quilt. I'm, I'm dropping it off in my drop box down on our road. He's going to pick it up along the way. Let me go find if I can see some ammo, you know, in town for you. Mm-hmm. And he wanted the 220 grain because obviously more stopping power. 
couldn't find it, you know, because of the pandemic. And I said, don't worry about it. I reload. I reload my own. I'll get you some ammo. When he came to pick up that, I had two clips for him, dropped off ammo and, you know, with his quilt so he can go hunting and be safe. So I mean, I, that... I don't know. I don't know anybody else who's going to give us complete stranger, you know, mm-hmm. and, and run around town looking for ammo, you know, just just because I want him to enjoy it. Yeah. I want him safe. I don't want him to be another number that's attacked by a bear. Yeah. Um, and that so. that that the the point that you made earlier about the connections that you make and that's that's something that I realized with um since starting this podcast and being able to talk to a lot of really cool people who you know whether they're uh, a committee member for 2% or whether they own a business that's 2% certified is you know I I feel comfortable you know I mean by the time we're all said and done here, we'll have talked for probably an hour and we've exchanged some emails prior to this, but I would have no problem, you know, calling you up and, and, and picking your brain if I'm going to be in Montana hunting or something like that. And that's, and that's, what's cool about, you know, my side of things from this is, is, you know, I've, this is, you know, this, this year episode, by the time it comes out, will probably be 17, 18, somewhere in that range. And, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable saying that I've made friends with every person that, um, that I've had the opportunity to speak with. I mean, I've been offered to come and hunt in South Carolina, you know, out in Montana. It's just really cool that people are so, um, you know, willing to, to give you advice and, and welcome you into wherever they're at or, you know, whatever type of hunting that they're into. For sure. Yep. And that's why, you know, I became 2% certified, you know, we're all in this, you know, together. Yeah. And I don't think anybody would want to join this, if they weren't, you know, want to, to strive and help push everybody else to help for conservation, those types of things. So, you know, we're all like-minded individuals. Um, and it's definitely a good thing. Yeah. Now on the conservation front, obviously 6am is a, is a 2% certified company. So at what point did you decide to become 2% certified and what are some of the companies, uh, or the organizations I should say that, um, that you're giving back to? Yeah, so we, we actually met Jared. It was back at Total Archery Challenge um, last year. And, you know, I went by the booth. I got the application. And it just wasn't um, very understanding. You know, maybe it was just my interpretation of reading this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jared's right here in Belgrade with me. And I'm like, hey, can we meet up? And we met up downtown, had some coffee, filled it all out, and it was done. And you know, I've heard of 2% before, but I just didn't know the ins and outs of it, those types of things. And so once he talked to me about it and, um, told me what I had to do, those types of things, it was easy. I was like, I already do this all the time. You know, there's nothing different that I'm doing. Uh, you know, simply 1% of your time. I mean, like I told Jared, I said, that's nothing. Yeah. You know, I said, why wouldn't somebody do 21 hours, you know, you know, the 1% of your revenue, that's nothing. I've said, I already do that anyway, yeah. you know, and it was, it was just a no brainer to do it. Um, when I spoke with Jared, you know, you get a lot of people who do the big, the big groups, you know, I'll just say Rocky mountain elk foundation, TRCP backcountry hunters and anglers. Those are the big ones. You know, a lot of people do those. Um, but what about local? And right. that's where Montana, it hurts. You know, there's only a, a million people that live here. So I specifically asked him to get me 
a list of Montana uh, conservation groups. And so I, I work with PLWA and they do, uh, they, they've been known for water access. Um, they're, they're fighting the corner hopping. So I, I work with them. Um, Montana Wildlife Federation, um, I, I work with them as well. And they're really into uh, Montana access. Um, I do do, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I do BHA. I do TRCP. But my primary ones are, you know, Montana-based. And, you know, we got Gallatin Valley Land Trust. That's right here in Bozeman. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so I I like to keep it local because nobody, if you're outside of Montana, more than likely nobody knows about those ones that are Montana-based. And if everybody had that same mentality, people like the PLWA or Montana Wildlife Federation, where are they going to get the support? You know, not everybody in Montana can, you know, donates money. Right. Um, it's very tough. So that's why I, I try to help those people out as much as possible. Yeah. And I love that outlook on, um, just conservation in general and where you're spending your, your time and dollars, because as a, as a 2% certified company as well with the average conservationist, when I first started, I had thought like, well, I need to, you know, I was already members, but I need to donate, you know, this money to, to these big organizations. And then like, as time kind of went on, I started looking locally here in Michigan. Right. And, and that's where like currently right now I'm, I've, I've teamed up with um, a local conservation organization where we did like a, a collaborative t-shirt. Right. So they're going to get, you know, they're going to get 10% of, of every t-shirt that I sell. That's the branded t-shirt or the, the collaboration t-shirt. And then also they're going to get 10% of my sales for uh, the third quarter of this year as well, because they're helping me, you know, not only promote the, the branded t-shirt, but just, you know, the average conservation, you know, my company as well. And it, it, they're so appreciative of that because it's, you know, it's, it's another, it's a Michigan based organization. And, you know, to, to keep the dollars here in state is, is huge because especially with this pandemic and so many people not being able to, to do their, their normal fundraising that, you know, these, these smaller organizations need all the help they can get because, you know, the, the organizations like RMEF and, and BHA, I mean, they're going to be all right. You know, they're, they're nationwide and they have enough members that they'll be able to, to, you know, keep their head above water. But it's these other ones that, you know, rely on, uh, whether it's outdoor shows or, um, you know, these big, um, other fundraising events that they haven't been able to have where they need, you know, companies like 6am outdoors, like the average conservationist, like my company to, to, to keep, things afloat and to keep fighting the good fight for conservation. For sure. And like the PLWA Montana Wildlife Federation, you know, I talked to them back in probably January or February and they had some board meetings that they were all set up and I had on my calendar, you know, that I was actually going to travel to go to these. And of course with the pandemic, you know, they're getting canceled, Mm -hmm. you know, so like you stated, you know, where they, where is their platform, you know, besides online, where you know they can get help yeah and well even when i went to you know my expos throughout this off season or you know the trade show season or whatever you know i reached out to them i said hey give me give me some pamphlets some stickers you know because that's how i can help you know them get the word out you know so if i get to go to salt lake at the hunt expo there i had their stuff at my booth and you know i spoke to some of those people about you know montana-based conservation 
and you know otherwise you know that would be very tough for some of those companies montana based specifically to get outreach outside of the state yeah and and you know as well as i do that with a lot of these trade shows i mean there's a depending on the trade show there can be a, a hefty price tag that comes along with you know just being able to have a booth there so oh, yeah. if if one of these organizations for whatever reason it's just not on their list of shows that year or they can't afford to do it to have someone else there as uh, a voice for for their organization is is huge and it goes it, i mean that's what these organizations need you know Yep. And that's exactly what I told them, you know, and, um, you know, even first light, another company, I said, I'm going to go to these shows, you know, if you'd like me to, you know, help them out, you know, by all means, you know, hand me some pamphlets, you know, because I'm helping, you know, spread the word. Yeah. Um, that's what, you know, I was Marcus over at Montana wildlife and, you know, I got some stuff and we got it squared away for them. And hopefully we you know we've seen some kickback on it. Yeah. Yeah. Marcus is a great dude. I had him on, uh, he was one of, first handful of episodes that I did. And he was the one that actually said, you know, if you want to make, if you, you know, you want to come chase some, some elk in Montana, man, he's like, let me know. He's like, you got a place to stay and we'll go out and, you know, we'll, we'll chase him around for a while. So that, I mean, it, that just, you know, it kind of all ties in the, the, you know, the great people that are not only affiliated with, um, 2%, but you know, the, just the hunting industry as well. And we definitely need more of those. Yeah, I linked up with Marcus and we, you know, we went out and had breakfast together and we just talked about, you know, just kind of like what we're doing yeah. and, you know, how can we make things different? What can 6AM do, you know, specifically to help them out? Yeah. And, you know, that's how we got a game plan and um, it, it started from there. So definitely good things. So now as we're kind of into uh, hunting season, do you have uh, any big any big hunts or anything that you're really excited about this fall? Well, I I've only drew goose eggs all year. I mean, <laughs> I know a buddy who he can he can apply for one tag that's the hardest to get, and he'd probably get it. But I flew, uh, excuse me, I applied for New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Idaho, you know, even Montana, and with the exception of Montana, I didn't get anything. And Montana, I drew a Missouri breaks tag, and everybody's like, "Oh, that's a sweet tag." I'm like, "Yeah, but my odds are 75 percent chance of drawing it." Yeah, you know. And I drew a, an antelope tag. It's it's an archery tag, so it's like. Still there? Sorry. Yeah, that's no, okay. Keep. St I I heard you say you drew uh, an antelope tag. Yeah, it, yeah. So I drew an antelope tag in Montana which is like a 99% chance of drawing it, you know? So it's like the only thing I can draw is stuff that's almost a given. Yeah. So I do have, uh, a, the one I'm looking forward to is my Missouri breaks tag and, uh, that's archery only elk. So I'll be going up there for a two week stint and, you know, weekends here and there. Um, other than that, you know, I've got antelope tags, but they're just, you know, nothing special. It's just an archery tag. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to do that. And I got my uncles coming out and I always go on a hunt with them because family's close and I've, I've grew up hunting with my uncles. And so I, I still do that two years ago. You know, I put everything down and I, I wanted to get my uncles an elk. One, one uncle never shot an elk with his rifle. It's only been a muzzleloader. And that was 19 years ago. Oh, and wow. then my, my other uncle, his last one was 18 years ago. And 
you know, it's, it's tough to talk about, but my grandpa passed away in 15 and he gave me his hunting rifles and, you know, my uncle and my grandpa and I, we all hunt together. And my, one of my uncles came out and this was the uncle who hasn't shot one in 18 years. And, you know, I said, take, take this rifle. And it was a 25 odd six that my grandpa used. And, you know, we go out there and I'm like bird dogging and <laughs> I, I busted my butt to get him an elk. But once he shot that elk, you know, you get up on it and, you know, I just busted down crying. You know, it was, it was just so surreal, you know, and my, my uncle starts crying and it was pretty cool, you know, and he's like, he just points to the gun. He's like, it's right there. So it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, no joke. I mean, stories like that kind of, they give me like goosebumps, right? Because I feel like there's, there's so many great stories out there and I don't care if you're, you know, some world renowned hunter or if you're just, you know, an average guy who, who just loves to hunt. Everyone has stories like that. And and those are the, the types of things that you'll tell your kids about and their kids will tell their kids about. And just like that, like you said, that moment when you walk up on, on the animal and you know, it's, I'm assuming your uncle, that was, it was his father's rifle. Uh, it was, no, so it was my grandpa. So it was his brother-in-law. Okay. Okay. So, I'm sorry. Yeah. But the, the family connection there, I mean, that's, yeah, that it's hard to, it's, it's hard a lot of times to put stories like that into words and to really describe the emotions, you know, I mean, just the emotion alone from being able to harvest an animal, but when there's all the backstory with the rifle and everything that that's led up to that point is, uh, it, it, it's a really cool thing, man. And that's, that's one of the great parts about hunting and fishing is, is those moments right there. The coolest, the coolest story, I mean, in my 35 years of existence is, you know, my grandpa passed away in 2015. And when I was talking to him, I, you know, he wasn't a horn hunter. He was meat. His, his theory was if it's brown, it's down. doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he shot numerous cows and I asked him, you know, you know, he's dying from cancer. And I asked him, I said, what's, what's the biggest elk you shot? He was like a two point. And I'm like, I'll get you a bigger one. You know, so 15, you know, that was in June when he passed away. So it wasn't hunting season. Yeah. And I was living in my, uh, Washington at that time. And, you know, I was no joke. It was five minimum 550 miles to, to Montana. And sometimes it was 700 miles, you know, depending on where I was going. Right. And I made like four tri- trips that year. Wherever I go, it just didn't line up. I'd go left, the elk would go right, kind of a deal. And and one last trip, one last hurrah, I told my wife I was going to go, you know, back to Montana. And I only had, you know, I left on a Friday. I had to be back to work for a Monday. And I said, I can't go further east. I'm going to go back where me and my grandpa used to hunt. And we know where he shot all of his his elk, where we spread his ashes. You know, and we get up there, and it was snowing like a sieve. I couldn't see anything. And, you know, just to cut to the chase, but within 20 yards of where we spread my my grandpa's ashes, there was a four-point bull. Now, granted, it's, it's, it's a raghorn four-point. Yeah. But everything coming together, you know, 20 yards from where we spread his ashes, I tell him I'm going to get him a, a bigger bull than a two-point. There it was, and I, I dumped that bull. Oh man, I mean that's, I, I mean you, that's like Hollywood scripted right there. I mean you can't, 
That's what I'm saying, you know, in my 35 years of existence, and that was the same year he passed away, the last hunt that I could physically go on that year. And, I mean, I put so many miles on. And, you know, was it because it never lined up just because? Or was it meant to be for me to go back to that spot where him and I used to hunt and where he shot all of his elk? Yeah. And where we spread his ashes. It's just, it makes you think, is it? You know, weird, so for sure. Yeah, and I think, again, like I mentioned earlier, if you spend any amount of time in the outdoors and, and you have, a, you know, a similar kind of story where, you know, maybe someone who introduced you to hunting and you spent a lot of time with and, you know, for whatever reason, they're no longer able to get in the field with you, whether they've passed on or they're just, you know, too old to be able to, to make it out there. We have stories like that where, you know, nothing had worked, you know, all hope was kind of lost and then kind of in the 25th hour, everything comes together, the clouds part and, you know, it, the rest is history. And, 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 and those, I mean, whether I've met someone for the first time or I've known them my whole life, I mean, those are the kind of stories I never get tired of hearing because it's, it's what keeps you going back. And it's what, you know, really fuels the fire for, for hunting and, and fishing or, you know, anything outdoors. Right. Yeah, that's that's my coolest story that I got here to date. And I mean, I've got a couple up my sleeve, but that's that's the coolest one. And you know, I'm I'm proud of the bull. It's not going anywhere. It's on my wall. You know, I still got the tag, you know, taped to it. And you know, everybody asked me, "Why you got the tag on it?" And I'm like, you know, "There's just those sentimental things." You know, yeah. it's like I'm not touching it. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that's 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 a great cool. that's a great story, man. I, I I appreciate you sharing that with me because that's uh that's awesome. Sure. So, well, Tristan, I really appreciate you taking the time to um, to tell me about 6 a.m. outdoors and kind of the process and how you guys got to where you're at. And, you know, if, if you know any of the listeners out there have not given 6 a.m. A, a look, I highly suggest you do that because you're going to talk to Tristan himself and, you know, you know, maybe even give you a chance to, to try out some of his uh, shelters or teepees, uh, if, you know, if you're in the market for him. So, again, Tristan, I, I really appreciate you taking some time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, well good luck uh, on your um, on your hunts this fall, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, big thank you to Tristan for taking some time to hop on the podcast this week. Uh, I'd like to thank our partners over at Stone Glacier. Be sure and check them out at stoneglacier.com. I'd also like to thank our partners over at 2% for Conservation. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you're shopping for your gear, uh, your guiding services, uh, your coffee, uh, your books, your real estate. I mean, pick something and and you can find a company that's 2% certified uh, in that space. Uh, I encourage you guys also to give 2% a follow on social media where they're going to post nothing but very uh, positive conservation-driven content. Uh, So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can find them online on their various social medias or on their website, fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for tuning in this week, guys. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Remember, stay safe out there, and conservation starts with you.